Bob Metz and Jeff Slummer. Gentlemen, a pleasure as always. Morning. Morning, Jim. I have an interesting story in front of me here, and I mentioned this a few moments ago. I just want to run this bio, although we've talked about this before. Indian Affairs Minister Jim Prentice has accused the Ontario government of grandstanding over Caledonia. Mr. Uh, Mr. McGinty has uh, presented a bill to the federal government, somewhere around $40 million, that he says uh, Ottawa needs to kick some funds into. And uh, Mr. Prentice, at the last minute, canceled a meeting with his Ontario counterpart, Dave Ramsey, and said, no, 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 no. We're willing to talk seriously about this problem there, but we're not going to put up with this kind of grandstanding. We don't owe you a dime. It's a provincial jurisdiction, policing property and civil rights. Nothing to do with us. You guys head out and do it on your own. You figure out what you, how you're going to solve this problem, and uh, we'll come to the table when you come back with something meaningful for us. Just, uh, again, we've talked about this before. Any, uh, any particular comments on that position? Kind of a hard-line position from the feds, Bob? I think it's the correct one. I think uh, the, pr- the province does have the jurisdiction and does have the authority to act. So if it, as a consequence of its, its failure to act, if it's accumulated all these expenses, you can't blame that on another party, even though uh, I know that uh, the occupants there are, are perhaps have disputes with the federal government, but that uh, doesn't excuse their action. Well, I guess the other part of it is that the uh, responsibility for First Nations issues is federal under our Constitution, so it's a little bit fast and loose to say that the federal government's uh, not involved. Certainly, if, for instance, uh, at the end of the day it's determined that that this land is, in fact, native land, then it would be the federal government that would have to buy it to turn it over to them. And, of course, like the federal government uh, administers all reserves in Canada through the Indian Act, uh, the Indian Affairs Department is a big department in Ottawa that does that. So it's so it's a little disingenuous to, to say that. And I, I, when I read that, I, I thought... Okay, maybe sending out a message saying, you know, um, don't be, don't be given these press releases or, or interviews. But I would have thought that in a normal world, if you were concerned about something somebody else had done, you would want to talk to them about it, as opposed to at the last minute saying, I'm not going to talk to you. It seems a bit petulant. Um, but, it, you know, I realize that these guys are all, it's all bargaining. It's all posturing and negotiating. Uh, south of the border, or across the border from us here in Michigan, west of the border, you could say, um, Proposition 2 is on their ballot next week. Proposition 2 has to do with changing long-standing policies regarding um, uh, quotas and preferential hiring and uh, the, whole, the whole area of trying to redress social ills through job legislation. Um, it's provoked quite a lot of discussion, some very vehement argument on both sides from people saying we need this, that the disadvantaged minorities, primarily blacks, is what this was developed for, but other people now have been accessing some of this legislation, that people are still disadvantaged, that they still need this help to redress the problem, uh, and other people, who's, how this thing came before, the, uh, before the, 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 the voters of Michigan, other people are saying we've done it long enough that any, any benefit that it might have yielded should have been yielded by now, and it's time to put everybody back on, an, on, a, on a level playing field. And, uh, you know, may the, may the most determined person win, I guess, is the way to put it. I'd like to ask each of you in turn uh, your, your opinion of those kinds of programs, and if you have a thought on it, what you think is likely to happen in Michigan. And, Jeff, I'd throw it to you first. Well, it's a, it's a tough one because the ideal for people who... Uh, 
at least from my perspective, are into human rights is to try to achieve equality. And it's, it's ironic to say that you achieve equality by being unequal. So fundamentally, uh, from again, I think from the, the take that where I come from, you look for a day when there would be no affirmative action programs. You look for a day when, when skin color and gender and and uh, ethnic origin would just be irrelevant. And uh, I, you know, I hope for my children's generation to be like that. Um, but at this point, what we found is, I know for the, for instance, to take an example of law school enrollment. Law school enrollment when I went there was 50-50 male and female. And at that time, the thinking was that within a generation, we would have 50-50 senior partners, 50-50 judges, uh, senior bureaucrats, men and women. And that hasn't happened at all. There are still very few women who are judges, very few that are senior partners, and very few that are that are CEOs in Canada. I think there's two or three amongst the top 100 companies who are women. So something hasn't worked um, around women. I think the thing that hasn't worked is the fact that a woman has the kids. That's where the problem is, and nobody's figured out how to equalize that because it's still a society where women tend to stay home with the kids, and when they do, they fall off the fast track. And uh, the answer is, well, then, if you're a woman and you want to achieve what your husband can achieve, then you cannot have kids, which seems kind of harsh because from my perspective, I've always thought, well, it's kind of a 50-50 deal, and in a, ideally in a society, men would take a larger role in raising kids, and as a society, we would support that. We well, we do support it. Now I have a, my, my niece is, uh, has gone back to work, and her husband is on paternity leave from his job yeah and, and that's great you know and i'm hoping that that more of that happens i did that actually when my son was born in 1990 at that time you get to stay home for three months and i did that and it was most exhausting three months of my life but uh <laughs> but anyway at root everybody i think would agree there shouldn't be quotas there shouldn't be preferential hiring only question is when is that going to happen and at this point we don't seem to be yet at 50 50 women still do seem to make less than men more so in the united states i think that color is an issue still in canada we look to the first nations and how there are all kinds of disadvantages still for people like james bartleman for instance our lieutenant governor uh, will tell you about going to school and uh, how it was a lot tougher for him and it's still continues to be in some ways for, for uh, folks who are, who are First Nations. So to me, until we figure out how to get past that, we have to do something. And the obvious thing to do is to have these quotas, however inequitable they are. Bob, what's your take on it? <laughs> I just heard Jeff say quotas are inequitable, and human rights are about equality, and therefore he's opposed to human rights. And I agree I with that. irony in there somehow. Well, <laughs> quotas are, are unjust, they're racist, they're everything you don't want in a free society. I mean, when you look at quota lists, who's never on the quota list? Ask yourself that question. And how racist is that? How sexist is that? If you want to have a quota, go 100%. Force companies to buy one or to to hire 100% of one type of one color of person, one sex, one belief, one religion, and then see how popular it is. It's the same thing as what they're doing, and it has no effect. But the, uh, their argument would be it's exactly opposite of what we're doing. We want to make sure that that company has everybody represented within it. But you don't represent people by color. That that means we're racist. We think in terms of race that that who you are doesn't depend on what you do, but what color your skin is and things like that. And but that, if you that according to that, you're entitled to some relationship with someone else who may not want that relationship with you. And that puts you on an unequal footing even with that person. Um, under Jeff's... I'm white, okay? So under quotas, if I was another color except white, I would have an advantage 
in a certain environment well, today over you white people. Or today you might in some circumstances, well, but we, well within our lifetime, I, I recall that in the, until the mid-60s in London, Ontario, you could not be a member of the London Club, the Hunt Club, uh, the best clubs if you were black or Jewish. Uh, you know, th- these are not things that are in the ancient past. They're well within my lifetime, and that was discrimination. And I think one thing you and I agree on is there shouldn't be discrimination. It's just a question of how do we get rid of it. Um, I don't know that we're in agreement. I think we should have equal rights under the law, but I think you have the right to discriminate. And if you want to have a club that just has Jews in it or just has Muslims in it or just has one group of people in it, you have a right to do that. Well, it's uh, not that uh, you can just have them in it. It's just you can't be in it. What's that? <laughs> it's not that you can only have Jews. It's like you can't have Jews. Well, or if you want to, whatever grounds uh, that you want to segregate for, for social purposes is one thing. You know, that's a, that's a whole different situation. Well, that's situation the other aspect of it is that the argument always was these are private clubs. They're no different than if the person uh, was holding it in their living room and that everybody agrees, or most people, I think, agree, that in your house you're entitled to say no blacks if you want. That's still can- Canadian law in your house. But the reality was that these clubs were, were where the power base was in London, in Canada, in North America. If you couldn't get into these clubs, you were at a severe disadvantage trying to compete in business, for instance, because that's where the deals were made, trying to drum up business as a professional. Um, there were huge disadvantages if you couldn't get in. I, and I recall my, my ex-wife uh, actually was a lawyer in the, that would have been the mid-80s at that time. Um, the firm she was at every day, the senior partner would take the client out to lunch at the, Hunt- at the uh, London Club. And the line every day was, uh, you know, Kelly, you're very welcome to come along with us, but you'll have to bring an apron. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and she didn't think that was fair. Well, it might not be fair, but is it unjust? That's the situation. And under what circumstance? I mean, uh, Sure, ideally, you don't want to see any sort of prejudice or decisions made on those grounds, and I think they're ridiculous grounds on which to make decisions on. But would I put you in jail or, or place a fine against you? Because that's what we're talking about when you talk about law. You're talking about consequences. And what would you do to an employer who, because of a quota, remember quotas are not based on individuals, they're based on statistics. So this, this, lo- this uh, lawyer, or rather, um, employer, Let's say he has a 60-40 split of whatever races are in question, but the law demands 50-50. You put him to jail for that? And he well, can be pushing you, like crazy. I'll tell for, you something for, else. that uh, What ends up happening is it's always a pendulum that swings one way uh, too far, and then it seems to swing back the other way. And I know that, for instance, there are new uh, locker rooms being installed in the courthouse in London, and at least 80% or probably more of litigators in London are men. But under their new guidelines, they have to have the same number of lockers for men and women. So I think the rule is that each new woman is going to get, f- or the, under the new rules, 50-50, the women are each going to get four lockers, and each man's going to get a quarter of a locker. Although my ex again said, given the choice, she would have traded off those lockers for more <laughs> washroom stalls. <laughs> We're going to pause for just a second. We'll be back with more Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer on the Jim Chapman News Hour. Stay with us. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us today. We've been talking about affirmative action. Our neighbors uh, to the west in Michigan are facing Proposition 2 next Tuesday. They'll vote on that among a variety of other things. And uh, the Proposition 2, uh, depending on which way you vote, could see the end of affirmative action as a state policy in Michigan. Um, guys, I want to ask you whether you think, or w- and this is this is a very subjective question I'm asking you from your own experience. What do you think the average Canadian and or American, for that matter, thinks of this in 2006? Do you think affirmative action has the kind of resonance that it once had? Jack? Well, it, uh, my problem is that I have to declare the conflict of being a uh, a Protestant white male, so I've had every advantage all the way along in my career. Uh, but I know uh, a few years ago I was uh, engaged to a, a 
woman of color who is a lawyer, had a master's degree in law, and she was convinced that uh, she had not gotten a job with London City Hall within the last decade because of who she was and how she looked. And part of the evidence was how many women of color work at London City Hall, and I couldn't really rebut that. And she, frankly, didn't like London for its whiteness. She said that she felt uncomfortable going to social events and so on, and she said it's hard to put a finger on, but it's not gone. Uh, and I, could, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Interesting. My ex-wife said the same thing to me, and she's white mm-hmm. from Trinidad, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said London's a real white city, mm-hmm. and you know, she just felt that from the culture, not from the color of her skin, mm-hmm. you know. But um, you asked earlier. You said, uh, "What does the average person think about?" I don't think the average person thinks about it at all, unless they're directly affected by mm-hmm. it when they get a job or don't get a job. But um, you know. Jeff asked a good question in the first half there. He says, like, uh, when will they end, quotas per se? Like, when do you decide they are going to end? Are they going to keep on forever and ever? And how high can you push a certain statistic until you realize it's at its maximum? You know, you keep hearing uh, issues between particularly the sexes. You know, women choose certain jobs that are generally lower paying because they go into an area where they've created a huge supply of labor for that job. And so if you've got a big supply, the the the, uh, the demand is lower than it otherwise would be. Mm-hmm. And that's what drives the price, not injustice between somebody and somebody else. That's just a law of nature, if you will. You know, and you can, nature to be commanded must be obeyed. You cannot uh, twist the laws of nature economically any more than you can with the weather. So, uh, although our politicians are trying both now that I think of it, oh man, that's funny when you think about but it. But I think that law, like a law like that, has to pretty well uh, come a lockstep with public attitudes. And you, it, it's bad to have a law, I would say, that is too far ahead or behind public attitudes. And public attitudes have changed, which makes hugely. the law irrelevant. Good point, because well, you will. It may demonstrate. It may be yeah. the way that leaders demonstrate <laughs> leadership, though. It may be the way that a leader comes out and says, "Look, I think we're heading in this direction, but not quite fast enough. And I want to get to the front of the pack, and I'm going to force some people who aren't on." board to come on board. Um, but again, I think that if you have a law that's not generally supported by the public, and if, if uh, affirmative action gets too far out in front, then uh, it'll get chopped down. The public won't buy in. But I, I think that when I was a kid, there was nothing funnier than a packy joke, for instance. I, I think we've come a long way in a, in a generation. I say we're not there, but we've come a long, long way. I, I, I think the th- things that have broken down uh, barriers between races more than any law or legislation is the arts, Star Trek. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry, you know, you saw the, mm-hmm. which was unheard of at yes, the time. Very good point. The episode they didn't the put that crew on there uh, because of some political correctness required by NBC. In fact, at that time, <laughs> this was the incorrect thing to do. Okay, I remember and the Frank Gorshin episode uh, where it was the guys oh, with the black and white painted faces, and there were the guys with the white and black painted faces yeah. that I used to think was absolutely silly until I got the point of it <laughs> later on. You know, and then I said, "Oh wow, that's brilliant!" Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, but the whole concept—I'm uh, sure you've heard Nichelle Nichols talk many times about her conversation with Martha, Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. who, after her first season on Star Trek. Um, she was considering quitting, and he talked her out of it because, hey, look, America is seeing a black woman in a human role, in a role that, where, the, you know, not, no attention is even brought to the race. Yeah. And you had, yeah. you had an Asian, you had a Russian, you had, you know, yeah. all this cross-section. And to me, it was perfectly normal and acceptable and natural, particularly since they all shared the same values. Suddenly you understand that the values of the Federation, so to speak in that mm-hmm. case, could be shared by people <laughs> of different groups and races. And I think that is the bridge to um, 
differences between. You know, I think I think he may really be onto something. If you look at the whole genre of science fiction, I don't read science fiction as much as I used to. I read it a lot as a kid, but mm -hmm. I do enjoy two or three programs on television. Yeah, Virtu virtually all of them are multiracial, multicultural programs in the sense that there's no reference made to the color of your skin or where you're from, really. They all sort of, everybody seems to react with you, whether it's Stargate or Stargate Atlantis or, or, or uh, uh, Andromeda. Any of them. And plus, uh, plus they have aliens, which, which complicates, you know, brings the Matrix even larger. Yeah, right, and with the next generation, there were Klingons on board. Yeah, sure, they yeah. come on board. Yeah. The arch enemies. No, I think that's right. And I think that, 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 that the mass media has a huge role in influencing public opinion. Uh, I think, for instance, that, uh, that the gay community recognized that a decade and a half ago and been extremely effective at getting gay role models onto, t onto TV and movies. Ellen, for instance. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that's where the power of that thing is. You know, Jeff said earlier also, which I agree with, you know, 20, 30 years ago, he said, you know, there were clubs around town that banned certain groups from being in there, yes. and that was supported by the law. Yeah. Well, that's because that was everyone's attitude. Yeah. The law follows the attitude, and so to me to say we need the legislation to do X, I think, is almost after the fact. You don't think there's some value sometimes in, in pushing a little bit and in, in reminding us using law to remind us of our better natures? Well, if you're flagrantly violating someone's right, the law should always be on your side. But if you're going to compel uh, a decision upon an employer or it, it, basically those laws all refer to, uh, what are they called, um, service providers. Could mm -hmm. be an employer, could be a restaurant, or, you know, someone in a service industry um, in terms of their hiring practices uh, to say that they have to get this quote, quota, or that quota. I think you just can't go by that. Uh, you have to look at each individual. Okay, we're going to pause for just a second. We'll be back. Uh, Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us on the Jim Chapman News Hour on 94.9 CHRW. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us today talking about affirmative action. Our friends in Michigan are going to vote on uh, its future in that state uh, come next Tuesday, and they're voting for a whole lot of other things next Tuesday. Either of you have any comments or thoughts about the American election? If not, we'll, we'll move on, but I just wondered whether you've been following that very much. You know, I actually haven't been yeah. following it that much at all. Um, it's the usual rhetoric here. and I think it's the ugliest one I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Some, of, some of the ads that are out there are absolutely... Scurrilous. Some of the th you, you you know that they can't possibly be true. They're saying things about these people, and you just there's no way that this other individual got as far as he did in life to to, to be running for the United States Senate, for example, and have committed all these crimes and malfeasances that they're accusing. That just it can't possibly have happened. And they're all over the place. One of the things I like about living where we do is you get so much of the American television from you know we we get we get programs from Buffalo, we get them from from Ohio, we get them from Michigan, we get to from from uh, uh, California on the on the Rogers Cable, you get all of these different things, and they're just all chock a block with ads now. And well, yeah, and, and it's it's so nice to be able to watch it in in kind of amazement. And uh, like I heard about the one last week, where well, the Michael J. Fox mm -hmm. one, of course, and Rush Limbaugh, mm -hmm. you know, as a new low. And uh, there was a fellow where he Tennessee where he talked about uh, he's talking about uh, the Democrat being soft on uh, on uh, world affairs and uh, about how you know don't worry, you know, he'll pr what does he say? He's going to uh, says don't worry about Korea, the Canadians can look out. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, got nothing yeah. better to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're not, they're not <laughs> and busy. And so it occurred to me, I was looking at statistics, and I haven't seen an article about this, but it appears to be the case that Canada has the third highest death rate amongst its military uh, in the uh, the war on terror behind England and the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, that we're, we're, we're number three as far as American allies in this, and, here, and this is what we have to put up with. Yeah, but we put up with it with, with one ad from one candidate. I know, but it, you're just talking race. about how low they'll go, yeah. and it's, it really is amazing entertainment, and no wonder it's so susceptible to satire. But you look at, the, the Michael J. Fox is a good one, because I saw that ad when it first when it first ran 
and or shortly after it first ran, and I thought this is this is pretty compelling stuff. Here's the guy obviously in the throes of very serious Parkinson's, and then Limbaugh made his comments and got roasted for it. But as the story unfolded, it yeah he did push the envelope a little bit. Uh, Fox did. He admitted later that he had never read the legislation, wasn't sure what the legislation was all about, but had been this person that had been recommended to him, so didn't realize that the legislation was not opposed to stem cell research, which it wasn't. It was embryonic stem cell research was the issue. So well, that wasn't Limbaugh's there, take. Limbaugh's take was he's faking it. Well, and and there were some people who said he was right afterwards. So you know, Fox himself said that he had on occasion not taken it when he when he spoke to Congress. He didn't take his meds. He went off his meds to make the point. So. Who knows? <laughs> we don't do that around here, but we may in London North Center. Are you following that race up there? And if not, I'm going to be outbursting. I'm going to ask you to do that because we're going to have lots to talk about in that one. Okay. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting uh, political races in this area in a very, very long time. Yes. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that interests me is that Glenn Pearson is is a very religious fellow, and I've seen him as a lay uh, preacher speak. And uh, mm-hmm. boy, he's uh, he's right up there and can compare chops with uh, Diane on mm-hmm. the the whole religious thing. And I don't know ideologically where his Christianity stands. Uh, uh, but, uh, no, I think it, it's going to be very interesting, partly because they're both, um, again, in some respect, I think, larger-than-life people, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly because Diane is used to winning, mm-hmm. and uh, so she'll run a very hard campaign. Um, but, again, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how the... Um, perception of the federal situation plays out locally, or whether it will or not. What do you think of Elizabeth May? Uh, I've gone on record saying I think she made a huge mistake to try to do this in this in this yeah. writing at this time. Yeah, no, it's, it's she just, can't. She's she, marginal. She, she can't win the writing, and I can't see that she wins anything else by no, doing this. No, 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 and and uh, no. I would have thought she would take her best shot somewhere where she had a realistic chance at it, or or get Garth Turner on board as the green uh, guy, as mm-hmm. the first green uh, member of parliament. But no, this to me it just kind of reinforces an image of of loser. Because she's going to lose. Yeah, there's no there's no way around it. Yeah. Megan, Megan Walker has already uh, sort of set the bar for personal attacks, and that's right <laughs> out right out of the shoot. Do you think that'll hold, or do you think they'll all sort of pull it up a little bit? I think it's a it's a funny thing about Megan because to talk to her anytime I've ever talked to her she's lighthearted, fun, funny, and everything, but her public persona is just so tough and mm-hmm. and uh, I hate don't to say turn your back on personal. <laughs> and and uh, I think if she could just lighten it up, she'd be a lot more effective. It's kind of the Mark Twain, Charles Dickens school of trying to influence the public with a bit of humor mm-hmm. uh, or Rick Mercer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she's just going to come across as kind of bam, 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 and of course Diane's going to push her buttons. Yes. So oh, absolutely. She's just got to pull back from that and come across as the nice person she is. The band is playing the background. Thank you, gentlemen. We're out of time for today. Look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks, Jim. Jim. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz joining us as they do every Wednesday, almost lunchtime. If you've enjoyed this presentation, visit justrightmedia.org for more programming that's not right-wing, it's just right.